Welcome to episode three of the Church Times Poetry Podcast for Lent, in association with Canterbury Press. This week, Canon Mark Oakley reflects on Love 3 by George Herbert. The material for this episode is taken from Mark's book, The Splash of Words, published by Canterbury Press, which won the 2019 Michael Ramsey Prize for Theological Writing. If you don't yet subscribe to the Church Times, why not try 10 issues for £10? Visit churchtimes.co.uk forward slash new hyphen reader. Love 3 by George Herbert Love bade me welcome, yet my soul drew back, guilty of dust and sin. But quick-eyed love, observing me grow slack from my first entrance in, drew nearer to me, sweetly questioning if I lacked anything. A guest... I answered, worthy to be here. Love said, you shall be he. I, the unkind, ungrateful. Ah, my dear, I cannot look on thee. Love took my hand, and smiling did reply, Who made the eyes but I? Truth, Lord, but I have marred them. Let my shame go where it doth deserve. And know you not, says love, who bore the blame. My dear, then I will serve. You must sit down, says love, and taste my meat. So I did sit and eat. The philosopher and activist Simone Weil famously thought this to be the most beautiful poem in the world. It is certainly one of George Herbert's masterpieces. It is the dramatic dialogue, the polite point and counterpoint of a man in conversation with God that is so affecting. Even though the poem has a refined and quiet tone to it, restrained but seductive, It reaches deep into the nature of human beings and of our creator. The absence of modern quotation marks gives the whole a seamless quality. This is an interrogation into the being of love that is a natural part of, not separate from, the relationship we have with God. For Herbert, it's quite all right to debate with God. God is big enough to take anything that might come up. George Herbert was born in 1593. He had a privileged upbringing and was an obvious candidate for high public office and a career at court. For a time, though, he lost himself in a humble way, as a contemporary said, and this eventually led him to seek ordination in the Church of England. He served the parish of Fugleston with Bemerton outside Salisbury for three years before his death at the age of 39. When he was dying, Herbert sent a collection of his handwritten English poems, which had never been published in his lifetime, to Nicholas Ferrer at Little Gidding, with a note. If he think, wrote Herbert, 
it may turn to the advantage of any dejected poor soul, let it be made public. If not, let him burn it. Well, we should be very grateful Farah did not go anywhere near the fireplace. A decade after Herbert's death, his brother Edward wrote of him, His life was most holy and exemplary, in so much that about Salisbury he was little less than sainted. He was not exempt from passion and cola, being infirmities to which all our race is subject, but that accepted without reproach in his actions. Over my years of reading Herbert, I've come to see him as the poet who most expresses our relationship with God as a friendship. I'm not talking about friendship in terms of 600 friends we have on Facebook, but rather the one or two people who have changed our life for good and maybe at some cost to us both. Thinking about these friends can dare us to reflect, as I think did Herbert, that our life with God is a friendship that asks of us a mutual freedom. Friendship deepens as honesty deepens. We cannot put the other on a pedestal. We must try and prize off the mask that has begun to eat into our face. And we need to be brave in hearing what we don't like or saying what we've never dared. Friendship requires courage enough to stop skating so quickly over our thin ice in case we disappear through the cracks. Instead, we face the fact that we need support and connection and that also we have much to give as well. It was T.S. Eliot who said in an essay on Herbert that the greatest difficulty for a poet is to distinguish between what one really feels and what one would like to feel. The same could be said of people of faith. We can often use religious language, even pastoral language, to distance ourselves from where we really are. The script and persona of a priest, for instance, can sometimes lead us into being manicured, middle-distant relators and very ill at ease with intimacy. And here is where Herbert begins to speak to us about the transformative nature of friendship with God. At the close of his poem, Jordan Two, for instance, he writes, But while I bustled, I might hear a friend whisper, How wide is all this long pretense? There is in love a sweetness ready penned. Copy out only that and save expense. In the presence of a true friend, we become very different people to those we often spend the day being. And Herbert is clear that self-scrutiny is called for in the presence of his truest friend and God. He knows that if a friendship with God and with himself is to be authentic, then it needs to be open. Whereas John Donne, the influential poet and friend of Herbert's family, similarly wrestled with God, he was in many ways a little more removed, maybe more fearful of God, knowing that his salvation lay partly in his own hands. But in Herbert we feel a security and confidence in God his friend. In this love, more than in bed, I rest, he writes. And you sense that whatever happens or is said 
all will be well between them. Herbert never really talks of hellfire or damnation. The wrestle in Herbert is speaking the truth of how life is and feels. His honesty is a gift. His candour about himself, about his adolescent tempers with God in which he often wants to stomp off and tell God where he can stick it. His audacious boldness and at other times disarming playfulness with God which all instil the sense of Herbert's, in his words, repining restlessness. He's open about his reverence and rebellion, his devotion and dereliction, about him being unafraid to reason but unashamed to worship, though always with a clumsy, confused or humbled faith. His poems are psalm-like. God is addressed more in the horizontal than the vertical, more as friend than monarch. And he talks of his own crooked, winding ways, of his thoughts being a case of knives, and he prays for simplicity that I may live. He refers to the poor expressions of his love and sorry I am, of how he bustles, gets through life with that long pretense, and of how he would not use a friend as he uses God, of his heartless breast and discursing soul, and of how he lives as if heaven were mine own, though also sometime to hell I fall. And yet, in prayer, is something understood. These all make up what he calls his sour-sweet days. And just as a child, perplexed at the full range of contradictions and emotions that life slowly brings to the fore, might run back to the safety of the parental giver of care and constancy, so Herbert seeks to bring his soul back into harbour, struggling to have his heart tuned to make the music better. You learn in his poems that a proud humanity can only ever be saved by a humble God. Herbert grows as and when his walls come down, when he learns not to replace the soul with the self, when he feels he's falling apart, he's often just falling into place. He writes, Dare to be true, nothing can need a lie, a fault which needs it most grows too thereby. And there is this familiarity in his relationship with God and his struggle is to find the sweetness of love in all our daily difficulties, knowing that his divine friend will not condemn the wit or punch with which he expresses himself when he can't find it or when it's all a bit too much. Because God is his friend, you sense in Herbert's words that salvation is secure, forgiveness is unconditional, Grace irresistible. The intimacy with God we find in Herbert comes from a confidence in that inviolability of their relationship. The underlying unity of devotion means he can adore and be impudent, be hostile and angry, and can also love and be speechless as one who sees how much he's actually treasured. Nothing he can do or say can separate him from God, 
as St Paul had also come to believe. Indeed, in Herbert's poem The Holdfast, he comes to a clear perception. I stood amazed at this, much troubled, till I heard a friend express that all things were more ours by being his. Well, in Love 3, we see that relationship so beautifully expressed and fed by biblical imagery, including the parable of the wedding feast when the guests failed to turn up, and Psalm 23 and Luke 12, where God prepares a table for his people. In Luke's telling of Christ's parable of the feast, to which the invited guests don't come, we read that a certain man made a great supper and bade many. And from the very first line of Herbert's poem, we hear the bounce and eagerness of love in the short syllables, Love bade me welcome, and the contrast with the long and heavy syllables of My soul drew back. Similarly, quick-eyed love is sprightly in comparison to grow slack. The tone of the dialogue is set straight away. A universal tone is created by Herbert by him using the word love instead of God or Christ, making the person of faith recall that love is the only metaphor for God that should be pursued relentlessly. It also helps the doubter to get beyond that loaded word God that may have so many shadows attached to it because, sadly, it can be a very weaponized word carrying projections and used abusively. How this poem would change if the word God replaced love is a very telling question. But love draws nearer. He sees how the man is pulling away. He also sweetly questions him. Love asks three questions in the poem, whilst the man asks only one. At a time when many see religion as a project to answer questions, this is rather corrective. Love, instead of answering questions, questions are answers, but only ever in an invitation to come closer. The man in the poem calls himself unworthy, unkind, ungrateful. He cannot look at love in the eye. He asks that his shame Go where it doth deserve. Love reaches out and touches him, takes him by the hand, and then cracks a pun. Who made the eyes but I? Again, this is God as friend, not tyrant. His eyes are sensitive, full of tenderness. Love is smiling as he speaks and reminds the man that love has borne all the blame already. The man is guilty of dust and sin, and the dust from humanity's long road since its divine creation lies heavy on us. But just as Simon Peter protests his unworthiness, and Christ washes his feet in reply, so here love prepares a meal and asks the man to stop beating himself up and to eat and enjoy what's set before him. Love has carried the blame for Herbert's unworthiness, and the only thing asked of Herbert now is that he sits down and enjoys some nourishment. The master becomes the servant. 
and the poem ends with six very short, equally stressed words conveying a poignant surrender to the words and the loving body language of God which have brought a peace to his inner conflicts against all the odds. So I did sit and eat. The last lines of a Herbert poem so often transform, even subvert everything that's gone before them. You sense in them that God might do the same to a human life as it draws to its close. Such is the power of his love. Words of the Song of Solomon must certainly have been in Herbert's mind. He brought me to the banqueting house and his banner over me was love. So many voices today come at us from every side telling us that we are small or fat, ugly or stupid, poor, not of any value unless we dance to the tune of the culture's advertisers. We internalise all these voices, believing ourselves to be valueless, but often lash out at others to hide it. And here we find the gospel encapsulated in a few intimately charged lines. Don't listen to the noisy, bullying voices, because only one matters. The voice that comes from heaven telling you who you really are and that you are loved and wanted and for always. The gospel asks us to live up to this voice, not to live down to the others. The last line, in a typical Herbert monosyllabic resolution, shows us the banquet begins when the man finally listens to love and sits with him, no doubt to continue a conversation where they can now at last look into each other's eyes. Most of us think there is something that God must hate about us. Herbert, in this magnificent poem, shows that quite the contrary, God loves us just the way we are, and he loves us so much he doesn't want us to stay like that. The human self is always a little suspect in Herbert's poetry. Grace is always needed to resolve, amend and complete it, shaping it into a soul rather than just a self. I was brought up by my grandparents. As a boy, I knew my grandfather had flown in the Royal Air Force in World War II. He was a bit of a hero to me, but he would never speak about his experiences, except one day in the car together, he mentioned Dresden and started to weep. He since died, but a few years ago, I was asked to preach in the reconstructed Frauenkirche in Dresden, and he was, of course, very much in my mind. On the way to the train station at the end of my visit, the taxi driver asked me why I was in Dresden, and I told him I'd always wanted to come, I'd had a great time. Why have you always wanted to come here? he asked. So I took a deep breath. Because my grandfather was a navigator of a Lancaster bomber, and I know from his logbook now that on the 14th of February 1945, he flew here as part of the bombing raid and he could never, ever talk about it. The man was quiet, and then said, Ah, that was the night my mother was killed. He pulled the car over and turned the engine off. He then turned round to me, put out his arm towards me, and said, And now, you and I, shake hands.
At the end of many of Herbert's poems, the last few lines completely upturn all that you have been reading so far with a fresh surprise. His poems reveal that God is loyal to the future, just as we are invited to be. In Love 3, Herbert says that he has marred his own eyes. Marring is the opposite of mending, which we see love do in this poem, in every question, statement and gesture. That man in Dresden, whose name I shall never know, took the risk of the outstretched arm, just as God does to us, and as God did to Herbert, and only in that courageous desire to connect, in the face of all that could have come between us from the past, is a friendship and a future possible. Love took my hand, smiling. When Herbert placed his poems together for his friend to look at, he was careful as to the order in which he placed them all. He placed this poem right at the end. The message was clear. For the person of faith, love must always be the last word. <laughs>